Anybody in here ever played chess before? Chess players? Of course you have. A lot of people play chess. Most of us aren't very good at it. Uh, If you look at chess and you had to decide what the most important or most powerful player on a chess board is, at least by reputation, who is it? It's the queen. It's the queen. Now, maybe some like advanced chess players, like they might have some secret that they, but me, like I'm novice. So I'm like, I want to use the queen as my most powerful player on the board. And this is why. Uh, Most players on the chessboard, the pawn, all the other ones, they have, some, they have some limited mobility. So some of them can only go in one direction, maybe laterally, or maybe diagonally, or maybe one certain shaped move, but that's it. The queen, she goes wherever she wants to go, just like a real queen. She goes anywhere she wants to go. Many of them are limited in uh, how far they can go on the board. The queen, if she can see a straight shot, she can go all the way in for the kill if she needs to. Um, so if I'm playing you in chess, and you still have your queen, uh, honestly, this is probably like not, not good strategy, but my goal before I try to get your king is to take out your queen, because I'm not very good at it, but that's the goal. So here's the thing. In so many situations in life, there is a key player, someone or something that makes or breaks the situation. This happens all the time. We see it in sports. Uh, professional baseball started this week. Does anybody care? I care. Anybody care? Yeah, it's a big deal. Professional baseball started this week. You ever heard this guy named Bryce Harper? Okay, Bryce Harper is this amazing baseball player, and he is a key player. So recently, he just moved from the Washington Nationals to the Philadelphia Phillies. And if you care anything about baseball, that's all that anybody's talking about. There's only like a couple things in the news cycle right now, and that's been one of them for a couple of weeks. He's a key player. He's someone that because he's on the team over there, other people are like, you know what? I think think Philadelphia is sounding pretty good. I think I'd like to play for Philadelphia now, because he's a key player. Maybe if you watched some NCAA basketball recently, there's a game on tonight. A little team from Durham, they're doing pretty well. They got a dude who's a monster. His name's Zion. When he plays, they win. When he doesn't play, Carolina wins. That's just how it goes. <laughs> and so that's how, that's how it's been happening. And so there are these key players. I'm wondering in your life, is, are there some key players in your life? Some people who just come in and just like, they kill it for you. In my house, I, know, I can tell you who it is. My wife, Lindsay. That's, that's it. She, if it wasn't for my wife, Lindsay, we would never find anything. Everything would be lost forever. We just, it'd be gone. And we would starve to death. We would all die because she makes all the food and she makes sure that we have groceries and she takes care of us. She's a key player. And so I might take care of a lot of things at our house, but like we step back and we're like, who is, who is, who is really taking care of us? My wife, she makes, she takes care of it. You probably have a key player like that in your workplace. Or, or if you play on a team, you've got some all-star, man, when they're up to bat, when they've got the ball, whatever, they, they're taking care of business. Key player, key player, Key player. That's the word I want you to kind of zone in on, or this phrase, the idea of being a key player. Uh, because we're in this series that we're in the second week of called When Jesus Prayed. And the idea is we're looking at John chapter 17. And John has got this, uh, this, this recording of a prayer that Jesus prayed. He's just hours away from going to the cross, which is what we kind of celebrate uh, at Easter. At Easter, there's this moment we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. But just before the rising, there was this whole weekend of just struggle and, and fear and all this stuff. And Jesus is getting to this point and he's, he's just told his disciples what's about to happen. And as he transitions to the place before he gets arrested, he prays. So if you've got a Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 17. Uh, we got free Bibles that we give away over here on this shelf. So feel free to grab one either now or as you leave. They're free. Everyone in the world needs a good readable version of the Bible. So we want to do our part and give you one uh, or look it up on your phone. That's totally cool. Scroll down. And as we picked up last week in John chapter 17, verse 1, we just spent the whole week talking about the first sentence. 
It says Jesus lifted his eyes uh, to heaven and he began to pray, Father, the hour has come. So last week we just kind of filled in all the blanks. What hour? What is this hour that Jesus is talking about? We basically went through all of world history last week. So you missed a, a doozy last week if you weren't here. Catch up on our podcast. Uh, it's a really good look at what it means for Jesus to even be on earth and why he was even doing the things he's about to do. And as we continue today, we're going to be picking up, uh, actually we're going to start at verse one again and we're going to read the first five verses. Because I see this prayer divided into three basic parts. And this week, as we see, uh, as we see Jesus pray, we're going to get through those first five verses. Um, John was one of the biography, biographies of Jesus' life that we have recorded in our American and English Bibles. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels. And so when we pick up at John chapter 17, uh, Jesus is facing what is the most pivotal moment in his life. We're going to learn and see, though, Jesus in this moment is going to become the key player that's going to change everything in, in history and hopefully in all of our lives. So let's pick up there. John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's a lot going on in these six sentences, and we could probably unpack it a lot of different ways, but I think that we can see it through the lens of three major sections of, of this part of his prayer. Uh, and so here are the three sections we're going to unpack today. The first one is talking about the glory of Jesus. The second one, he talks a couple different times, he says the word eternal. We're going to talk about eternal life through Jesus, and then Jesus's work on the cross. So if you're taking notes today, you can, those are the three areas we're going to be going through. You can kind of follow along. I do want to let you know that we do have some note, some note papers over at the Connection Hub if you ever want to just have some paper to write on. Uh, but those three things, the glory of Jesus, eternal life through Jesus, and the work of the cross that Jesus did. So breaking those things up. The first thing is the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. Let's reread the first couple of verses. Verse 1 and 2 says, Father, the hour has come. We talked about that last week. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So Jesus asks a couple times here to be glorified. What does that mean? To be glorified. The Greek word that's used there, because this was originally written in Greek, is doxazo. It means uh, to, to give honor or to bestow splendor. So it's this idea of kind of highlighting the goodness of something, to glorify. And Jesus has been living up until this point a rather unglorified life. I mean, if you follow Jesus' story, he's basically a homeless, traveling, you know, uh, minimalist teacher. He says at one point he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And he's going from place to place, and he's relying a lot on the, the, the generosity of others to take care of him. And so if you look at him, uh, one scripture said there's really nothing, nothing to really impress us about Jesus as he walks on earth. He just, other than the fact that he's saying some amazing things and doing some amazing things, he's doing some miracles and things like that to show his power. But stepping back, stepping back from a human perspective, it's kind of simple. And Jesus is saying, listen, glorify me, Lord. 
Because I've been living in, in, in this certain uh, you know, mode of operation right now, and I want the world to see who I really am. Because underneath the surface of what Jesus has going on, there's something serious cooking. I couldn't find the best word to describe this as I thought through it this week. And so here's the word I want to use. Maybe you got a better one. The word I landed on was amazing. Like under the surface of what Jesus had going on on an earthly level was something amazing. And we talked last week, the hour had come because for centuries, God was preparing this amazing moment through this amazing human that was God in the flesh. Amazing. There's a description of of Jesus in the book of Colossians. And so a couple of times the apostle Paul attempts to describe who Jesus is. And one of my favorite ones, this might be the best definitive like chunk of words to describe all of Jesus's amazingness. It's in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. Let's look at the first couple of verses. We're gonna unpack that a little bit. Just to see this amazingness, it says the son, we're talking about Jesus here. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things on heaven, and on earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's pretty amazing. Jesus is God in the flesh. When God puts skin on and comes to earth, that's Jesus. And, 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 and what it says in this passage is that Jesus was involved in creation See, when God created the world, if you, if you know the story, it's back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And when God created, he did it in a very interesting way. I, I do a lot of creating at my house. I like to do art. I like to work on my truck. I like to think, but I, I need tools and I need supplies. You know what God needs? Nothing. He created out of nothing. And you know how he did it? With his words. He said things like, let there be light. And so all the molecules and atoms in creation just said, okay, Light. You know, in scripture it says, Jesus is the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. There's this understanding that a lot of people have about God's word and about Jesus that, check this out, that God's words, like the sounds coming out of his mouth, is kind of how we understand words, right? That his words are so powerful that they can tangibly manifest into a human have you ever thought about that? I mean, maybe you've read in John where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I don't know if that's exactly how it works. I don't have that degree. I don't know. I don't know exactly how God's word connects to Jesus in the flesh. But just to think, Jesus is God in the flesh and he was involved in creation. So when the words let there be light were spoken, guess who was involved in that? Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Let's keep reading verse 17. We're gonna be back in Colossians. We'll get back to John 17 in a second. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So there's this picture of the church. And so we are here kind of gathered as, quote, unquote, a church, the church. And around the world, there's all these people. And it's considered 
a body of believers. And the reason that word body is used is because kind of like our human bodies, we got lots of different parts. You know, we got fingers and we got hands and we got toes and we got fingers uh, and we got and we got we got thumbs, we got ears, we got all these we got these these different parts and we all all our different parts serve different purposes, right? And so when the church is described in the New Testament of the Bible, we are described as having different roles in the body. And that's cool. We all play a role, one single body worldwide, but guess how many heads we have? One. And Christ is that head. And so as in our body, the head makes the decisions. It's the, it's the thing that makes us who we are. And it's who we look to through, for guidance and, and leadership. So it says we are, that he's the head of the body. It also says in that little passage we just read that he's the firstborn from among the dead. That's kind of a crazy phrase. That's kind of what this whole series is actually leading to. So in just a few weeks, it's going to be Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus, who was God in the flesh, by his own power, rose from the dead. That's a pretty crazy claim, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've said this all the time, but I, I've been to funerals, and people generally stay in the grave, not Jesus. By his own power, he rises from the dead. And that's what this whole season in Christianity kind of celebrates, though we celebrate it every day. It says he was the firstborn from among the dead. You know what that means? There's a promise that others are going to be born from the dead. And that's the promise that we receive if we accept Jesus, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Romans 6 says that we have been buried with Christ, that we can rise to walk in newness of life with him. We are promised life, but Jesus went first. That's cool. That's another thing that we learn about Jesus from this Colossians passage. And it also says in that passage that in everything, he might receive supremacy or have the supremacy. Uh, Paul writes also in Philippians chapter two, nine through 11, he kind of explains that supremacy. He says, therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Supremacy, no name greater, no position higher. This is who Jesus, I told you he's amazing. And Jesus says to the Father, glorify me. I want everyone to know. I want everyone to know what you've been doing. It's amazing. Uh, we finished out the passage from Colossians, verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Where do we get the notion that Jesus was God in the flesh? This is one of those places. The fullness of God dwelling in human form. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself with the things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's a classic moment in a lot of movies where like the hero of the movie is unmasked and all the regular characters of the movie, they realize that like, hey, we knew this guy all along. And it's like, what? Clark Kent is Superman? What? That's impossible. Clark Kent wears glasses. Superman doesn't wear glasses. That's impossible. But it's like, it's this moment, this reveal, and you're like, under the surface, whoa. And, and, and this is Jesus. Do you know that in me, the fullness of God's deity dwells? Do you know that through me, God is going to make peace between man and himself through my work that I'm about to do on the cross? So Jesus says, Father, glorify me. As I glorify you for what I'm about to do, Lord, glorify me. Un unveil this, 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 this facade that I've had on for these 33 years and let the world know who I am. That's the story of Jesus. I said we're doing three parts of this little prayer. That was the first one, the glory of Jesus. Okay, the second part, eternal life through Jesus. Look at verse uh, two and three. 
kind of overlaps a little bit with the passage we just looked at. This is back in John 17, starting at verse 2. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You guys ever seen the Pixar movie, Toy Story? Anybody like the movie? Anybody? Nobody seen the tip? Yeah, that's right. If you haven't seen it, then go home and watch it today, and then come back, and then you can have a, a better life. Um, Toy Story is amazing. It's so good. They've made three movies. The third movie wasn't even fair. Like, I cried. I kept crying. I'm like, this is, this is a cartoon, but it's so well written. It was, it was so well received that, you know what they're doing right now? Do you know they're making a fourth Toy Story movie? Insane. So this past week, I saw a trailer for the fourth a Toy Story movie. Oddly enough, it made me think of John 17. So let me connect the dots for you. Uh, there's this moment, and, and there's these two stuffed animals, okay? And uh, they're big fans of Toy Story, the two stuffed animals. Okay, they're toys. You following? All right, Toy Story. All right, and so these two stuffed animals, and, and they're trying to remember Buzz Lightyear's catchphrase. They couldn't remember. They kept getting it wrong. Does anybody remember Buzz Lightyear's catchphrase? To infinity and beyond. And they, could, they kept saying it wrong, and it was, they were like, to infinity and your mom. And my son thinks that's the funniest thing ever. And <laughs> And so they're like getting it all wrong and they couldn't figure it out. And then Buzz Lightyear steps out and he's like, no, 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 boys, you're getting it all wrong. It's to infinity and beyond. And there's a, a pause and the two stuffed animals go, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. He's talking about going beyond infinity. He, he said, you don't know nothing about science. Um, so infinity, listen, they, they are so right. Going beyond infinity is like, what is that? I, you know, why would you say infinity if there's more? Infinity, inter- eternity, these are concepts that I think when we want to feel super educated, we, we want to act like we understand eternity. Like, we, yeah, yeah. In Christianity, we talk about eternity a lot. It's a big part, eternal life in Jesus, and that's the kind of the goal in heaven and all this stuff. Can I just simplify this for us? We don't understand eternity. Not a clue. Not a, not a blip on the radar of a clue. This, it's not happening because our finite brains cannot understand the infinite space of eternity. We can't do it. We try. So we've got metaphors and we've got analogies and we can like draw little charts and we can pretend and we've got symbols, this eight laying on its side. It's like we got, we got it figured out. But the reality is we can't fathom the scope of who God is. And when we try to measure eternity, we do it in terms of, of time, how long it is. We do it in terms of size, like how big it is. But Jesus in this passage, I never caught this until reading through this for this message. He gives us a definition of eternity that relies on something else. Let's look at it. Look at it again, verse three. Now this is eternal life. You ready? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Instead of defining eternity in terms of, of time, and space, and size, Jesus defines it in terms of relationship. Who? Who's there? What's going to make eternity so awesome? I want to borrow some words from Dr. Mark Moore. He's a, uh, he's a theologian and author, and he wrote um, a commentary on, on the Gospels. He says this about this verse. He says, we're talking about eternal life in verse 3. This is not a duration of time, but a relationship with God. Eternal life is knowing God personally and intimately. He is known not through mystic meditation, but through a person, Jesus. And Jesus' death and resurrection gives us access to God. In other words, the union between God and man was broken. That's what we talked about last week. And honestly, it's what the song we just sang was all about. Um, and, and 
it was broken because of our sin. It was broken because God has a perfect nature, and when we come in and we, we taint that with being disobedient to God, there's an incompatibility then between our natures. And so our bodies became somewhat temporary at that point. And we die. That's what happens to our bodies. But Jesus says, listen, if you know me, I can offer you life beyond this body. I can offer you eternity, and guess what it is? It's the relationship with the Father. It's knowing God. It's being able to enter back into his presence and have communion with him. That's huge. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. We see glimpses of heaven, uh, for example, in the book of Revelation, and that's a book that we get scared of. It's a little difficult to sometimes dig through, but you get in Revelation. It was written by uh, the last living apostle. His name was John, and God gives him this vision of eternity. He shows him heaven, and, and, and as he looks at it, some cool things go down there, but if you look at the most common recurring theme through all of this story that he tells, it's not what we're doing. It's not uh, where we're doing it. It's who we're doing it for. Over and over and over and over, the centerpiece of heaven is Jesus. And so you see, for example, him seated on a throne, and he's the center of all attention. And you see that in that throne, he creates and provides light for everything. And so he's just this, he's the center of life there. And even you see, like in concentric circles, sitting around Jesus, there are these tears and tears and tears of people who their entire life now is focused on bringing glory to this, this king on a throne. It's about the relationship. And so when Jesus says, listen, this is eternal life, that you get to know God. Through Jesus, it gives us a new definition. Have you ever had one of those days that were just so great, you wish it would never end? I mean, th those days are too far, few and far between. Um, I, last year, my wife and I got to go on a little vacation. It was our 15-year anniversary. And uh, so we kind of stink at celebrating holidays. Like, we just don't do a lot of presents, and we don't. But we're like, you know, 15 years, that's a big deal. So we got like a bed and breakfast at a place, and we were there for several days. And we did everything we wanted to do. Uh, it was in May, so the temperature was, was perfect. We went to a, a minor league baseball game, which might not sound cool to you, but we love that kind of stuff. So we went and did that. We went to a, a farm and, and, and a dairy, which again, that's, that's us, that's not you, but we enjoyed that. We got to do some things, and there was this moment, we got to set up a, a hammock next to a river, and it was between these two trees, and, and the shade was just perfect, and the wind was just right, and we laid on the hammock, and we had, each had our own book, and we were reading and I remember just in that moment thinking, man, it is a shame that we have dinner reservations later. <laughs> I don't want this to end. This is, a, this is a fun day. Now, when I look at that few days, it was a lot of fun. It, it was a ton of fun. We did a lot of cool stuff. But it wasn't because we went to a baseball game. It wasn't because we went to some cool restaurants. It wasn't because we stayed in a cool bed and breakfast. It, was, it wasn't. That was fun. But it was because we got to do it together. If any one of you had gone with me on that trip, I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry. It just wouldn't have been of much fun. There's a special relationship that I have with my wife. It was made right and awesome by who I was with. So when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you know God, I want to tell you something. It's amazing. It is amazing when God is in your life. And if you're struggling right now with pain or, or, or depression or 
you don't know what to do next with your life. I want to tell you, lean, lean into the presence of God. And that sounds super mystical and like, how does one lean into the presence of God? I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. One is to stay connected to his body. Be a part of church. I've said this so many times, but on a national average, people are saying people are attending church like once every six weeks. And, and then they're like, man, I don't understand why things aren't working out right now. And I'm going to tell you, because God has a body that he wants you to be connected to. And he wants you to be in this thing all the time, not for a gold star, for attendance, but because seeing these life-giving relationships often is important. Maybe you need to be in more community like that. Maybe you need to be in God's word more often, reading the Bible and just understanding what does it mean for me to plug into this life-giving relationship, spend more time in prayer, spend more time listening. It's a beautiful day. Go spend some time sitting somewhere today in silence. Leave your phone in the car. Turn it off. Take the battery out of the thing and throw it across the street for a minute. Just listen and say, God, will you show up in my life? This is eternal life, that we can know the Father. And that's one thing Jesus brings us on the cross. So I said there's three things. We, we, we know the glory of Jesus. We know the eternal life that happens through Jesus. And the final thing is this, Jesus' work on the cross. And so uh, this is the moment, this, this is the point of this whole prayer, this work of the cross thing. Let's look at it again in verses four and five. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The work of the cross. If there's one thing I can really appreciate, it is someone with good work ethic. Lazy people drive me crazy. I'm just, I mean, like, look, just what, what abilities and gifts and, uh, that you have, use them, right? Don't just, that's a, that's a soapbox I could step off of. Work ethic is awesome. And here's the thing. There's, there's, a, there's a big difference between work ethic and being a workaholic. I think it's unhealthy to make work your life. But when you say you're going to do something, you do it, and you do it well. Uh, my son started a lawn care business last year, and, uh, and he did a good job. He actually, he's, he's already started mowing uh, two lawns this year. So I'm like, wow, that's cool. But when he first started, I was like, man, if, if I'm going to let you go out and, and, and make money off other people, you're going to do a good job, or you're not going to do it. That's, that's, that's going to be. You're not going to drag our name through that. I got to tell you what, he has been, I've been very proud of him, been good, doing a good job. But I remember the first couple lawns he went to, I would go out, and I would kind of, I would inspect the lawn for him. He, he wanted me to do it, but I want to look around, because if we missed a spot, I wanted him to see, you guys are mother grass and you miss a spot and you look back like, oh shoot, well, I already put the lawnmower up. <laughs> we'll get that tomorrow. But not when you're getting paid. And so uh, there was this one, one lawn and, and he was done, it looked great, but there were some grass clippings all over the driveway. And so I go to my son, I say, hey bud, listen, before we get you packed up, get your blower out, blow off the driveway, it'll look good. He was like, dad, it's not that big a deal, it's good enough. And this is when I have one of those sparks of, uh, every now and then, parents, don't we have moments where we're like, I said something good. So I felt like that. Uh, I said, it's not good enough if you're getting paid for it. If you expect to get paid 100%, you better do, if, if you expect to get paid 100% of the agreed price, you need to do 100% of the agreed work. And he was like, ah, uh, you know, and this was awesome. Later that day, uh, the guy called and he was like, hey, bud, listen, you did great on my lawn. And man, when I pulled up, I noticed that you, you blew the grass clippings out of the driveway. I never do that. I was like, score. Dad, <laughs> dad win. And, and so here's the deal. Work ethic's important. No one has a work ethic like Jesus. He was facing a job, a task that no one else could complete. And if he didn't do it, I, I believe this was God's plan A for the world and for our sin. 
I don't know that he set a plan B in motion. I think it's because he had set his mind to do this, to complete this thing, and he was going to do it. Let me give you a quick picture of his job description. Okay, this is also in Philippians chapter two, six through eight. This is just a snapshot of Jesus' job description. So in verse six, he said, it's Jesus who being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something that he should use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is Jesus' job description. This is the thing he came to do. He did a lot of amazing things as he lived on the earth, but he knew that the task he was here to complete was this work of the cross. It was his job and it wasn't an easy job. If you fast forward uh, uh, the story a little bit, you look in Luke chapter 22, we get a picture of another prayer Jesus prayed. John 19 is one kind of independent prayer. And there's another prayer, it's more, more, more well known, John chapter 20, I mean, sorry, Luke chapter 22, 41 through 44. This is a picture of how hard this job was. So Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Translate that into modern speak. Lord, if there's another way, can we please do this another way? <laughs> I don't want to do this. This is the human side of Jesus, realizing I'm gonna have to go through this human experience. He says, yet yeah, not my will, but yours be done. That's the ethic. And an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was hard work, but Jesus was committing, committed to finishing it to completion. And so we go back to our main verse in John 17. Listen to what he says. He says, Father, I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Do you detect a, a, um, something interesting about this verse? Has Jesus gone through the cross yet when he prayed this prayer? He hadn't, he hadn't yet. It's still hours away. But what he says is, finishing the work you gave me to do. By finishing the work you gave me to do. He's committed. I'm going through with this. I'm going to do this because I understand it's necessary. And he does complete the work. If you just move forward a little bit in the book of John, the last words that John records Jesus saying before he dies, John 19, verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. The last thing on his mind before he gives up his spirit is I did it. <laughs> I completed the work that I came to do. And so when Jesus prayer, prays this prayer in John 17, he knew he was gonna go through it. And he knew he was gonna go through with it because it was for the glory of God. He knew that the only way to bring God, to, to really unveil the true nature of who's God's, who God is was to go through with this selfless act of love. That's the work of the cross. Now those five verses, that's it for us today. We're done with the passage. We'll pick up the next verse next week, but we can't just walk out of here. I wanna just leave us all with some food for thought. Some questions maybe you can ask yourself. Jesus became the key player in every human being's life to knowing God, okay? Where are you on that today? We're on you that on knowing God. Was this your first time in church today? Maybe you came with a friend, and um, I want to tell you something. We are a safe place for this journey. 
our church family. We, we say openly, we've got it on posters around town and online, that we are church for people who don't like church. Uh, we understand there have been things that have put up walls between us and God, and it's been done largely by the church. We, we, we as humans, we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. I love the church. I love the church. But we want to be a place where someone who might be far from God or feel like they can't be transparent can come in here and, and you don't have to check your baggage at the door. We can come in with all of our background, all of our baggage and say, let's just do this together. Let's go on this journey together. What does it mean for you to lean into God's presence in your life this morning? Maybe for you it means just coming back next week, <laughs> making a friend, knowing their name, shaking their hand before you go and start this journey, commit to it. I want you to know this, God was committed to you. He wanted to finish this work so that you could have the ability to know life, spiritual, abundant, full life, and that's what God wants for you. Maybe you're here today and you've done Christianity for a while, you know who Jesus is. Oh man, listen, this is the coolest thing. You know the way that Jesus is about to face this cross? You know his motivation there? It does say in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. In other words, he, he went through the cross because the joy of, of our salvation was so big for him. But what does he say in a prayer hit? He says, Father, glorify me so that I can bring you glory. Show the world who you are. Guys, we, we got a chance to show the glory of God in our life. Where do you work? Where do you go to school? Who's your neighbor? What ball teams do you play on? Do you realize every act that you act is a chance to bring God glory? What if it became our prayer? Lord, whatever I have ahead of me today, Lord, unveil your glory so people can see. Matthew 5, 16 says that when we do our good works in such a way, the world sees it, but they give glory to God. Let's be a group of people who in the city looks at us, when your friends and family look at you, not, not, not under a microscope and unpacking all of our sin and our, and our baggage because we got that, but when we step together and we say, under the mantle of Jesus because he is God in the flesh, when they look at us, they go, man, those people are doing their best to give glory to God in their life. It's not about them. It's about him because Jesus did the work of the cross. As, as we study the time that Jesus prayed, Let's make it our prayer that we can use every day, every skill, every resource, every passion, every opportunity to bring God glory through our lives. Let me pray for us this morning.